I am Jim Vasilopoulos, and I'm about to have a productive conversation with Mike Vardy. Welcome to A Productive Conversation. I'm Mike Vardy, and on this episode of the program, I'm joined by Jim Vasilopoulos. We talk about his book, Clarity, Business, Wisdom to Work Less and Achieve More. It's a great conversation. We dove into the idea of clarity, how he wrote the book, the unique way that the book has been written and how it was a joy to go through. We also dive into the idea of focus, of productivity and productiveness in both our personal and professional lives, and just the guidance that the book has to offer. Now, Jim is a C-level business advisor with a proven record as a leader, strategist, rainmaker, and new business development expert. He's got a reputation for principled leadership, strategic vision, and effective execution. And he's built successful new business ventures, uh, including turning around underperforming organizations and has had several exits as well. Uh, he's the founder of Rafty Advisors LLC, which allows him to help early stage companies get off on the right foot, growth stage companies push through plateaus and mature organizations with strategic shifts and complex challenges. Jim teaches sales and professional development. He's a frequent speaker on leadership and innovation and volunteers regularly with veterans groups and business incubators. There's a lot of ground that we cover during our conversation today. We could have gone much deeper and much further, but I think we go deep enough during this productive conversation, at least to give you a taste of what you can expect from Jim and his book. So let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Jim Vasilopoulos. Enjoy. Jim, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today on the program. Really appreciate you having uh, being here and me having you here, I guess, but more you being here. <laughs> I'm honored. This is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. So uh, I'm holding on to the book right now. It, it, it's called Clarity, Business Wisdom to Work Less and Achieve More. And right out of the gate, I'm seeing a lot of people look at the idea of awareness, clarity, mm -hmm. focus. And we're in this, I think we're in this right era for this kind of conversation around these terms. Uh, you know, we live in a world now where there's a lot more dynamic elements, not just in terms of the kind of work we do, but where we do it, how it mm -hmm. gets done. Um, we were thrust into uh, uncertain and uncharted waters, and we've you know had to navigate them, probably accelerating things that were on the way anyway. So I want to know, why did you decide that this was the time for you to put this book out into the world? Well, for me... You know, it's, you know, I've had this career, I've done a lot of things and, um, you know, I'm an advisor and a coach to a lot of uh, executives now. And so um, people always say like, you know, why is it that you're good at what you do? And, you know, I wanted to really kind of document it and just say, think very carefully about like, what is it that I do that allows me to have, be insightful, to provide wisdom to people, to see things that other people don't see. And so it's really a, a journey of discovery on my own to be like really conscious of my own competence and then to kind of share that. Um, but, you know, I think I want to kind of address part of the, the setup to the question, because I think it's really interesting, which is like, hey, why do we need this now? It's not, why did I write it now? Well, why does society need this now? And so as we're getting ready, we're having a conversation, we're talking about quarterbacks and we're talking about like, you know, your ability to kind of process a ton of information that's coming at you quickly. And so I think that's why the world is, is leaning into this kind of messaging right now, because we've never lived in a time when more people are, have access to more information. And 
you know, some people are much better at processing tons of information coming at them. Um, but we are hitting the limits of most people's kind of cognitive ability to kind of process everything. And so it's, you know, the experienced quarterback that knows what to ignore and what to pay attention to. It's like, you can, don't worry about the, um, you know, weak side linebacker, worry about the strong safety, you know, and, and, you know, so you know what to look for. The same thing's true in business and all the problems we're facing. There are a lot of things that, you know, you maybe can't ignore or maybe you shouldn't, uh, give the same amount of weight as other things and trying. And that's really part of the messaging of clarity is, you know, spending your time on only that, which matters most. And when you do that, you tend to be able to work less and achieve more. And so that's the whole goal of like, what can you strip away from the syllabus that you know is unnecessary? It's interesting you bring that up because I was listening to a podcast, uh, Locked on Bengals podcast. We were chatting about, you know, you being a Bears fan, me being a Bengals fan. And uh, it's interesting because one of the hosts of Locked on Bengals lives not far from where I am. And uh, the joke is, how are you out west in Canada, a Bengals fan? That's an aside. But the thing that they talk about was the idea that when you've got one quarterback, Joe Burrow, who gets injured and he loves complex plays and is able to execute them differently. And then you've got another quarterback that comes in Jake Browning, who, as we're recording this literally just, you know, had one of the best performances ever for a first time quarterback in a game, one AFC offensive player of the week, he had to play things differently. And some of their, their conversations on that podcast were about why do why doesn't Joe do some more of the simple stuff? Like they had to simplify the process for, for, for Jake a little bit. And so I think this, is, is a nice, interesting dovetail into the idea of clarity because we often think about things that complexity makes things better, right? You know what I mean? Like it, mm-hmm. it, it, at face value, it's like, oh, well, the more complex it is, the more valuable it is. Maybe that's the, the idea. So where does clarity kind of cut through that to the idea of, like you said, like, you know, let's, you know, let's execute in a way that allows us to, you know, basically gain clarity and focus and awareness and move forward in the direction we want to go rather than add complexity to things so that, that, you know, to try to get the same gains. Cause I find that layers of complexity there, there can be diminishing returns on those. Yeah. Well, I mean, complexity is something that we kind of stumble into a lot of times. Cause like we, you know, we try something new and we add a new tool to our toolbox and we, you know, Hey, we can do this. We have all these options and we always feel like, gosh, life is better if you got a lot of options, right? right. Um, but, you know, when you take a look at people who are efficient, okay, um, if you go try and buy, let's say, and maybe things have changed a little bit, but I remember like the difference when Japanese cars first came to this country, like, you know, when you were buying a, a Toyota or you were buying, uh, you know, a Honda, you had like, you know, three packages, that was it. You didn't have a lot of options. But if you went to buy like a GM car, you had like a million different options. You could customize a tar out of it. And that's complexity. It's nice to have choices, but, you know, who is dominating the market as far as the number of sales and who is the most efficient and most profitable? You got to take a look at sometimes you add things in because you think it makes life better, but it doesn't necessarily do that. But there's a process to kind of trust that instinct to figure out what is it that people really matter, you know, that really want when they're buying a car and what matters and what moves the needle, and what doesn't. And that process is difficult. So, that there's a, you know, a quote that I think a lot of times is attributed to Mark Twain, but it is um, really, I think it was Niels Bohr, the scientist, where it's like, I gladly would have written you a shorter letter, but I did not have time. Right. And I think 
that's really the essence of clarity is it takes time to see the simple things, to see, you know, to, to make something a little simpler. So we gravitate towards complexity because it's actually the lazy way. It's the easy way. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like the idea of Merton says, clarity affords focus, right? Well, I mean, the thing is to get there is the hard part. It's so, it's so fascinating to me why, and I, I was on a recent episode, um, just went live this week as we record, uh, we talked about the idea of soft skills, which no one really likes that term anymore. They, they, you know, they, <laughs> you know, but clarity to me is one of those things where it's hard to understand the, the, the payback, the long-term dividends of being clear because it doesn't, oddly enough, ironically enough, it, it's not apparent out of the gate, right? You know what I mean? Like, you know, you don't see it right away, which is weird considering it's called, the term is clarity. What do you yeah. say to somebody who it knows that they need to get there, but keeps getting bogged down by, you know, external demands? Um, the idea of, and you, you allude to this in the book, the idea of, you know, the emergency room where everything's a treat, like, you know, everything's an emergency. I, I hear this all the time from people like I put out fires all the time. And one of the things I say is, well, you know, you know, well, how do you fight those fires? Because firefighters actually are strategic about the way they, they put out fires. They don't just willy nilly, you know, spray, uh, <laughs> spray water at it. First off, a grease fire, you spray water at it. You're going to have a whole other issue. Right. So yeah. why do you. What do you say to somebody who's like, I keep getting bogged down by all of these things that are clouding my judgment. They're, everything is urgent. Everything's an emergency. I'm spending more time reacting than responding. What are some of the things that you you think can help people like get out of that or snap out of that in a way that's going to allow them to say, okay, I know I'm not going to see this necessarily right away, but the payoff is there if we're just patient. So there's a lot packed into that, but you know, I think it's worth unpacking. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, first off I'd say is, the first thing you have to just accept is you're playing a game you can't win. Okay. You know, if you get into the trap where it's like, everything's an emergency and I have no time, just like realize if you, if that's the world you want to live in, that's fine. But just understand you can't win that game. You will eventually lose that game. It's just a matter of when you're holding onto a rope that is slipping through your hands and eventually you're going to run out of rope. So you got to really think carefully about, you can avoid the decision to change the dynamics there, but it's going to bite you. You are going to lose that game. And so you have to make time to think more critically about what you've got going on and how you can do it. Um, there are a bunch of different things we can do, but the, you know, I think a lot of times people make these binary decisions about like, Hey, I need to say yes to this and no to this. I'd say, rather than kind of look at it that way, I'd say, um, there are a lot of great ideas we have and there are a lot of wonderful things we need to do. We know we need to do them. Sometimes it's just not now or not yet. And so you got to kind of reframe your relationship with time and just say, you know, the three things I like to talk about are like sequencing, timing, and patience, Right. doing things in the right order, you know, because in the right order, it matters, you know? Um, and I think that's the emergency room example I use in the book. You know, mm -hmm. there's a thing that surgeons know. It's like, I need to clear the airways. I need to get the, the blood pressure fixed and, um, you know, stop the bleeding before any of the other things really even matter. Um, and it's not that the other things don't matter. You know, you could have a broken leg, but the other stuff needs to be dealt with first. And right. understanding the right sequence is good. From a timing standpoint, you know, um, you can do things at a different time or at the right time and have a dramatically different outcome. So I, the example I like to use there is like, if you're playing baseball, 
you know, the difference between a home run and a foul ball is timing. Okay. That's it. Okay. So knowing the timing and being accurate or precise with the timing can have a dramatically different impact. And so what we want to do is think carefully about timing and then patience. It's one of those things where, you know, to execute a strategy and to make change and to do something, you have to have patience and confidence. And I always say patience is the truest form of confidence because, you know, if you look at any like Mel Gibson film or something like that, where there is, you know, fighting the Revolutionary War or Braveheart in Scotland, it's like, wait, hold, hold. I mean, the strategy is good, but it doesn't work if you're not patient. And so you need to be patient um, and know the right time to do things. And then if you get them in the right order, you can have dramatic benefits. Now, one of the most impactful books I had read years ago, and it was because of the seductive title, was Tim Ferriss's Four-Hour Workweek. Now, I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds appealing to me because I was probably putting in regularly 60-hour-plus weeks. And uh, that sounds great. So I read the book and then I was like, you know, I can't live in Thailand um, I've got kids who are in school. I, you know, my business requires me to meet with clients, you know, sounds dreamy, sounds great. I'm not willing to give up my life and my family and to, you know, go sell vitamins and do everything online. Fine. But there was a lot of brilliance in that book. And the brilliance was like, Hey, really thinking about what is essential, what is important, what is impactful and focusing on only that, which matters. And strangely, subconsciously, I started doing this in my own business. And I was running a consulting company at the time and I was doing a lot of sales. And I was spending a ton of time doing that. And what I found is over the years, I cut out things that just didn't matter. And by the end, by really leaning into this kind of philosophy of only doing that which matters and only the, knowing that what things move the needle and what things just, why were we doing them? I don't even know why we were doing it. Just because people said it was important. It wasn't important. Um, I got down to where I was doing my job in one day a week. And years later, I got it down to like four to six hours a week, something that was taking me 60 hours a week to do. So there is hope. You can do it, but you have to start. And the realization is know that you're playing a game you can't win. So change the game, just like Tim Ferriss for our work week. He's like, I can't I'll compete maybe this Thai wrestler with skill but I weigh four times as much as him. That's how I'm going to win. I'm going to look at the rules differently. Starting an online business or expanding your physical storefront online has never been easier thanks to Shopify. This global commerce platform supports you at every stage of your business journey. From launching your online shop to managing a million orders, Shopify is there to simplify and accelerate your growth. It's not just about selling products. So Shopify helps you manage every aspect of your business with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. But that's not all. Shopify helps you convert visitors into customers with the best converting checkout process on the internet, which performs up to 36% better than other platforms. And now a special offer for my listeners. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Whether you're just starting out or looking to scale up, Shopify is the perfect partner for your business. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? I've been there and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn Jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. 
In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. Managing passwords can be a real headache, right? Think about it. Every website requires a new password. Each one needs to be unique, secure, and somehow memorable. But there's a better way. Welcome to the world of 1Password, where your entire company can generate strong, unique passwords, store them securely, and access them across any device without ever needing a reset. Imagine never having to click Forgot Password again. With 1Password's award-winning design, managing passwords becomes a breeze for you and your entire team. It's trusted by millions, including top companies like IBM and Slack. Here's the best part. My listeners can try 1Password for free for two weeks. Right now, get your free trial at onepassword.com slash productive convo. Secure your passwords and simplify your online security with 1Password. Well, and there's that, that book, uh, James Carson's Finite and Infinite Games. Make sure that you're playing <laughs> the right game. If you're playing exactly. an infinite yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's you, you were talking about, um, you know, the idea of Tim's book and, I know that he has said that the book was titled that way to draw attention. Like he, you know, it, essentially it feels like you're working four hours, you know, four hours when yeah. realistically, I mean, there's more going into it. Plus there's a lot of front end work that went into that. And that's the, that, you know, I'm, I'm working with some people right now in terms of um, their, their, their time crafting journey. And I'm like, look, once you do the front end work, then the, then it, the, the flywheel starts spinning and it starts going in the right direction. But in a lot of cases, people don't feel that they can get there. What I found in your book that was fascinating was you you used story, fictional, like this idea of fictional kind of characters and fictional stories to illustrate these points, which is, you know, again, it's it's been done before in other books, but the way you've done it in this book, especially going into the, the depth of this book, because this book is not a... It, I would argue that it is a, um, it's not a quick read, but that's okay. Like some people want to get in, get out. You, you can't, you have to sit with this, which I think is actually great because <laughs> that's how you get clarity. No, thank you. Yeah. But why was it um, important for you to take that framing when you were putting this book together, when you were writing the book? Well, I mean, I think, you know, as humans, we remember stories, you know, um, you remember stories. They're the things that stick. It's the reason why, you know, we still, you know, can tell Greek mythology and Aesop's fables and things like that. These, these stories that have embedded lessons in them are powerful and that's, we're wired to accept them. And so, you know, that was of interest to me to kind of lean into that. Now, like most business books, I, I didn't want to write a textbook. So I was writing a business book and I was going to use case studies um, the problem I, I had with case studies, case studies are always focused on like one thing, right? Like, Hey, this is a case study on, you know, scale and growth. This is a case study on culture. This is a case study on this. And I thought part of clarity is not, is finding out what problem or what combined set of problems or issues or symptoms I'm dealing with. And so I wanted to write a case study, but I turned it into a case story 
that kind of touched all these things along the way. And so you can follow one person's journey through them dealing with multiple issues. So the context was there that connected them because there's rarely any client I've had through the years or any person you know that's like, oh, we had a problem that was only this. Right. It's usually like four or five things that are going on at the same time to different levels of impact. And so I wanted to give that very real tangible story. And so are there reflections of my experiences personally or the experiences of my, my uh, clients in this book? Of course, it's an amalgam of these things. But I wanted the stories to really um, illustrate the depth which and the context that people have when they're dealing with real world business issues that are complex, that have a lot of facets to them. And then I also wanted to have multiple stories that kind of weave together to show how in the business world, you really can't do it alone. It's important for you to work with other people. And the more productive your relationships are, the more your problems become solvable and your goals become achievable. And I wanted to at least model a really good behaviors that people can say, hey, I've witnessed these behaviors in my career and with my partnerships through the years. And I want people to know that like, this is how it works when it works well. Let's just not talk about the bad situations. Right. Well, and the other thing that I think that I noticed as I was reading it, well, first off, you're right. That recency bias of the bad things tend to tend to rise to the top, unfortunately. But what I noticed is with the story element is that nuance can shine through. And that's yeah. really tricky in a business book because – you're mixing anecdotal with empirical, anecdotal with empirical. Like these, this, in this case, it's more of a tapestry than a back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, which is where nuance gets to kind of thrive or at least, you know, show up. So I would love to tap into the idea of nuance when it comes to clarity because people, I mean, again, business wisdom to work less and achieve more. That we, you and I both know that that is not, black, white, left, right. There is plenty of gray there. And so when it comes to nuance and clarity, can we discuss the, the kind of the intersection of those uh, of nuance within clarity and, and actually vice versa? Because clarity and nuance, like they, they're, they do have this really interesting relationship, which you really need to be able to, I guess, understand or at least appreciate so that you can both have both, I guess, right? I mean, Mike, you just made my day. I mean, just that question alone made my day because it validates exactly why we chose the format that um, for the book. Because, you know, we're, we're trying to articulate these nuanced scenarios that, you know, don't fit into the world we live in, which is like, you know, five key things to do. You know, it's like the, the listicle solutions to everything that come out there. And, you know, they're popular, they're clickbait headlines, but in the grand scheme of things, um, business problems are not that binary. They're not that black, black and white. They have nuance to them. They have um, all these different things that contribute to kind of the tapestry of what you're dealing with. And, you know, I wanted it to be real and tangible, but and if there's one thing that comes out in the book, it's like balance, you know, and, you know, whether you're talking about leadership or anything else, it's like, you know, leadership isn't about like giving people free reign. It's also about holding them accountable and finding the right balance point there. You know, it isn't about, you know, just like any single thing. It's about finding the balance point with so many of these things. And so balance is really 
something that's hard to describe. It is nuanced, okay? I can't sit there and say like, hey, read this book on riding a bike and you can ride a bike, okay? (laughs) Um, Read this book on swimming and you can swim. You need to experience it. And so part of the reason for the story to explain nuance is you kind of need to really get in the shoes of someone and identify them and feel their emotions. And like, oh my gosh, I felt like this before. And I've struggled the same way or, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's like, this sounds like you're talking about me because then I can help you have those feelings that get you in touch with kind of that nuanced situation that allow you to kind of maybe have a chance at learning clarity, not through the school of hard knocks, but maybe, you know, you know, through the process of at least getting closer to it with your, you know, reading a story about someone else. Right, right. And well, the thing about balance is also dynamic. Like that's the thing yeah. you can, you can find it for a moment and then it's, oh, not, not anymore. Right. That's why I don't like the term work-life balance because it implies that you, it adds an adjective that doesn't need to be there, right? You know what I mean? We live in a world at this point that is so intersected and integrated that just balance is, is it, 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 it you, you can't, you can't really say, you know, if I'm going to do work-life balance, all it does is thrust, you know, focus on work and life instead well, of, huge, go ahead. There's a huge assumption in there. Mm-hmm. It's that, you know, life is good and work is bad. Right. Okay. You know, right there, there's a huge assumption. It's like, and maybe for a lot of people, that's, you know, the way the world is. But if your work is that bad, I'd say maybe you're doing the wrong work. Or your, or if your life is that bad, because it could exactly. go the other way too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I sit there and I say like, I, I think work doesn't have to be bad. We could take pride in our work. You know, we, we, you know, work is something that can be very fulfilling and rewarding. You just have to find the right thing and not just let the world come to you, but go out and like be intentional, seize, you know, what you want to satisfy your desires. And, and part of that is, is most people don't even have the clarity about like what makes me happy. So you don't even have the chance of going and seizing a job or that affords you the kind of um, thing that says like, I get up in the morning and I look forward to work. I like it. And a lot of people think it doesn't exist. It totally exists for the people that spend the time to think about, this is what's rewarding to me. This is what's happy. And, you know, I can't tell you the number of 50 plus year old people that I work with that are like, gosh, I've got this corporate career. I'm not happy. I need to figure out like the last half of my life and, you know, do something that's at least somewhat rewarding in the last few years of my career. I say, that's depressing, but it's common. Mm -hmm. What's encouraging is is I'm seeing way more 20 somethings asking those questions, which means they're getting ahead of the curve. They're not waiting for life to happen to them. They're way ahead. Now let's, that's an interesting way to put it because I see the same thing, but what it gets framed as in a lot of cases is entitlement. You, you don't want to do the thing that we've all been told to do. I mean, I'm a Gen Xer. I think you're a Gen Xer too, right? Yep. So we kind of were, we're that generation that saw the bill of goods that the boomers were sold and we're like, all right, we'll go along. And then I think later for us, we're like, wait, hold up. Like 
you and I are probably <laughs> outliers in that situation because we both run our own businesses. Like we basically said, I'm not, I mean, I worked for Costco for a good number of years, could have stayed there. I've lots of friends that did, and it's still a great company to work for. I mean, ask, uh, <laughs> you can see Charlie Munger's whole story about working with Costco and how it's the business model he loved. There was an interview, the last, I think the only podcast interview he ever did, and the last interview I think he did was for the acquired podcast and it was oh. you know him discussing you know the virtues of Costco because they love the Costco business model as well but the thing is is I got out of there not because it just wasn't for me but you're seeing like the younger generations going hold up I saw what my grandparents and I see this and I see what my parents and they're like that's not for me I'm gonna figure out I'm gonna set boundaries I'm gonna mm -hmm. get clear about what I want to do before I start doing it instead of being in it and then trying to get clear while I'm in it. And it's interesting to see the feedback, the reactions, the responses from other generations to that. I'm sure you're seeing the same thing, right? Absolutely. And, you know, it's not to say that there aren't some entitled younger people. There's I mean, always, there certainly are. Generationally, I mean, we're going to have that on both sides anyways. Yes. Yeah. There have always been entitled people. Um, there's many entitled like, you know, uh, Gen X are saying like, well, you're going to suffer like I did then. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so the reality is, is I just think that there are a greater number of younger people asking the same questions that the 50 year olds are asking. And um, I think that's encouraging. Um, there's always going to be a certain percentage of people that are, you know, entitled and don't want to work and think the life, you know, everything should be handed to them. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. That's cool. But um, these critical questions, I think, are important. I think people want to be fulfilled. Um, and, uh, I often liken it to like, um, you know, the matrix. I mean, you know, it's it, when you start asking yourself those questions is when you're taking, I think it's the red pill, like, and I want to get out of the matrix. Yep. Um, and, uh, I think I like to see people doing that earlier because, um, the single best thing I did was get out of the corporate matrix and then, you know, go into the, you know, my world of trying to discover what I wanted to do as, as a, a self-employed guy and then as an entrepreneur and, you know, um, Certainly, you know, not the path most people take, but it's the path that allowed me to be the most fulfilled. Right, right. And again, this goes back to the fact that nothing is really black and white, left, right. It's all gray. I mean, I remember telling, uh, I remember being at a workshop once and uh, it was like some kind of retreat and they had to study insect, types of insects. And mm -hmm. my group got, um, I think it was a type of yellow jacket or a type of wasp, but another group got ants. And one thing that they discovered that in a colony of ants, they have what they call lounger ants. So while the ants work together as a colony, there are some, a small amount, but they're there that look like they're contributing to the colony, but they're just going along with the colony and reaping the benefits <laughs> of awesome. the colony. And I'm like, Oh, so even like the insect kingdom has this. So it's not, it's not like, and again, so you, I mean, again, reading the book, How to Live on 24 Hours a Day by Arnold Bennett, you look at some of the time management strategies and productivity stuff that was going on over 110 years ago, and you could look at it, read it today and go, oh yeah, it's just, instead of being on the train, reading the newspaper and like zoning out, they're now in their phones, right? Or people think of the workday as nine, the day is nine to five, which is not the entire day. So human behavior typically does not change, right? Which is why we hear like focus on that kind of stuff. But yeah. before we wrap up, it seems to me that moments of clarity, those is a brief glimpse of a black or a white 
a left or a right in that moment where it just comes into focus. You're like, okay, I'm going to grab onto that and go down that path. And then there will be other moments. So is it, is it challenging to, do you believe clarity can be sustained consistently or do you think that it has to be, you just have to be aware of it so that you can find it when it shows up or when it presents itself to you? A little bit of both. I mean, that's such a consulting answer, but it's a little bit of both. I mean, you have to have an open mind. You have to be curious. You have to be open-minded to kind of see things when the the stars align. Um, if your eyes are closed, you're distracted on the wrong things. You're never going to see the opportunities that are right in front of your face. At the same time, I'll go back to something we were talking about earlier, which is balance. Balance needs to be maintained. You know, mm-hmm. so that that ability to have a clear perspective is it's like it's clear for a minute, but you need to maintain that balance. And that's by really being very disciplined. And you probably can't do it alone. And it's easier to do with other people in your life because um, it's easier to see someone else's problems clear as day than it is to see your own. And, um, you know, if there's one thing I'd like for people to take away, it's like, you know, you can try and do it alone. And some people do okay. But if you want to do great or if you want to really improve your condition, Think about the people you hang out with, people, the advisors you have in your life for, you know, personal decisions, business decisions, everything, and understand that if you have the right people around you, it's going to be a lot easier to find clarity. Last question for you, Jim. What is Meiraki? So it's this uh, Greek word and it, you know, doesn't have necessarily um, a direct translation in English. But it is, you know, kind of the the passion, the gusto, the soul you bring into what you do. And I think that is really one of these things when people, back to your first question, I think is like, I don't have the time for this. I can't do this. This is too hard. You know, I'd say tap into a little bit of your own Meraki, you know, try and create an environment where you have your, your heart and soul poured into something. And when you do things... And um, with the right intent and it's aligned with your values and you're really clear on what makes you happy and what moves the needle for you personally, um, work doesn't seem like work anymore. You know, people don't feel like they're working with you if you have bring that to the workplace because, you know, business is driven by the constraints we have. Time, money, intellect, you know, is all driven by constraints. But the one asset we all have in abundance that does never runs out is kind of love. And so I'd say, you know, bring that love and passion into what you do and you're going to find the energy you need to get across the finish line. The book is called Clarity, Business Wisdom to Work Less and Achieve More. And I have to say in the over 500 episodes I've done, there are very few books that don't read the same as most of the books that I read. This would be one of them. You know, uh, again, the nuance, the story, this is a book that you could pick up uh, and it's not one that you would necessarily go as a reference book, but that's okay. Cause that's not the way it's supposed. I would highly recommend you pick up this book. Uh, Jim, where can people pick up the book and where can people uh, learn more about you and the work you're doing? Um, you know, the book's on Amazon, but if you want to find everything about me or the book, whatever, um, the website is businesswisdom.com. Go to businesswisdom.com and you'll find everything you need there. And, um, You won't have to worry about spelling or pronouncing my last name. It's all good. (laughs) Jim, thanks for having a productive conversation with me. Thank you, Mike. This has been a treat.
Big thanks to Jim for joining me on the program. You can check out all of the links and just related takeaways, talking points, etc. at productivityist.com slash podcast 508. Of course, you can also see all of that at the podcast app that you're using. Wherever you get your podcast, you can see that. And while you're there, hit subscribe. That way you don't miss a single episode of What's to Come and can easily search through the archives. It's another great way to support the show. And yet another great way to support the show is to check out the sponsors that you heard during our conversation today. Go to productivityist.com slash podcast sponsors to check them out and then use the links therein to show your support because then they know that we sent you. That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for taking the time to join me on this broadcast today, the first of 2024. Until next time, I'm Mike Barty, the host of A Productive Conversation, reminding you to stop doing productive and start being productive. See you later.